This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st hrn. With our growing season just around the corner, we're sowing seeds of knowledge and empathy on this week's episode of Meet and Three through four unique stories. I'm always shocked at how aggressive people are with their language. I'll have something like Japanese knockweed and they'll say, you know, these are terrible, they're, they're foreigners, they're invasive, and you know, but they're also, you know, they're really healthy if you eat them. We're surrounded by seeds that have already adapted to live with us and they're actually already kind of living in the future because cities are hotter and they're more polluted and they're more fragmented and these are the plants that can deal with that. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Why Food, a podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, and career changers. I'm your solo co-host this week, Ethan Frisch, and I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest, somebody I've uh, followed and admired and read and cooked recipes from for many years, and uh, I'm really excited to get to to talk to her. Deb Perlman is the author and uh, creator of, of Smitten Kitchen, the cookbooks and the website. Deb, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. So you you had a whole career prior to Smitten Kitchen, or, or possibly several careers prior to Smitten <laughs> Kitchen. I, I really want to talk about cooking and recipes, but let, let's let's start there. What did you do uh, out of college, and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Let's see. When I was in grad school, I worked at Tower Records on <laughs> um, the world music floor. I have had a lot of random jobs. Um, but I enjoyed it. What What was your favorite uh, record on the world music floor of Tower Records? I loved Brazilian music. There was, um, I want to say, I really enjoyed some Marissa Monte they would play. And I remember that, like, and this is just me showing how absolutely ancient I am. But, like, um, what am I thinking? Like, Buena Vista Social Club and all that Cuban yeah. um, was having a, still having a moment. But, you know, it was just, it was actually new back then. <laughs> Um, and all the bands that spun off of there and got recording contracts around the same time. Well, big, I mean, they were already recording. Anyway, that was really big and I loved the music and I still love the music. So I like the way it influenced my idea of what great music should be and can be. Um, I tend not to follow rigid rules of what I'm supposed to listen to and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And you also had a, a career as an art therapist, if I'm remembering correctly. I did. So I was... Um, going to school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I picked a psychology and a fine arts degree because I was extremely indecisive. <laughs> so much has changed. Um, and I heard about this five-year program, um, this uh, master's degree I could get in art therapy, you know, basically just like one extra year of school. And then you'd be able to work, you know, see the certification um, as an art therapist. And so I did that. Then I moved up to New York and I actually worked at a nursing home for a few years. Um, as an art therapist, and I love working with old people. That part was fun, but the work was not really the right fit for me. And I increasingly wanted to get into writing and figure out what I could do more creatively, um, you know, just realizing that this isn't what I wanted to do until retirement. And a couple of years into it, I started my first blog, which was just called Smitten, um, which was just 
back then you did not need to have like a focus and like a social media strategy. Social media didn't exist. So I would just write about whatever bad dates I went on, like a little bit cooking. And as the years went on, I did it for three years. Cooking really took over the conversation there. And that's when I pivoted to Smitten Kitchen and started it in 2006. And had you had much of a background or experience cooking or with food? Was there was there something about that 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 drew you to to writing about it, or or was that did that sort of emerge organically or accidentally? Uh, a little bit of both. I I mean I've always liked cooking, and I always considered myself a competent cook. I I mean I I knew how to cook. My mom knew how to cook. I didn't. I didn't think that cooking was something that most people couldn't do. I thought that, you know, if there's, if the recipe is good, you should be able to follow it. But I've always been extremely opinionated um, and also quite picky about food. And I think those things have come together into what you sort of know at Smitten Kitchen, which is that a lot of it came from either me looking for the perfect yellow cake recipe and not being able to find it and where the places where I thought I would or finding it and not wanting you to make any other yellow cake ever again, or from a place of, I think I don't actually like yellow cake because they're usually bad. And how can I challenge myself to find one that's great? So and those are really the three main, I would say, threads you see a lot. I, I love so, it when people are opinionated about recipes and, and a, like the more the more basic or the more kind of uh, um, unremarkable the recipe, the better. Uh, what is it? What is it that that uh, uh, sort of drives your opinions about recipes, or how do you how do you come to conclusions about whether you're going to like them or not? It's really it's often a gut reaction, but sometimes it's a usability too. I find myself I'm testing a cake right now. I hope the timer doesn't go off too soon while we're talking <laughs> for my next book. And a thing that I love about this cake, and I don't know if this is going to be the final version, but I'm hoping it will be, is that the measurements are really neat and clean. Like It's like an even number of cups of flour, an even number of cups of sugar. Like There's something very, like I, I've made it, I've memorized it. I didn't mean to. It's just that I did not need to pull out the recipe the fourth time I made it. Um, I like that. I like that I sort of discovered as I was making it that I liked it better with melted butter than butter that had to be softened just so. Um, and so I can actually just hand mix whisk the whole cake. So I don't have to take out a KitchenAid. Um, so all of these little things just make me love a recipe more. And if it's also cross my fingers, the best version of this that you've had, then, you know, it's just infinitely usable. Yeah. Yeah. Checking all the boxes, ease of use, easy to remember. And then, and then obviously having it taste good. I didn't think about that stuff as much back then, but I think about it a lot now. Like the more cakes I have, I always gravitate towards the ones that are just really doable, easy to remember and no, oh, but with this one thing, there's no, but this one things. So, so not recipes with like clever little tricks or hacks or uh, things to remember, just things that, that work in the way that, that you would hope that all recipes would. I think a recipe is allowed to have one, but I have to know why it's there. And I have to know that it's definitely better with it than without it. Okay. Got you it. You get one. You get do, one. What are your, <laughs> now I want to hear your, do you have other rules for, for recipes like that? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm always just, you know, if I can make it with store brand butter, I'm going to make it with store brand butter. I don't like if I can, I want. I want to kind of, I tend to test for the most basic ingredients because I don't want to ever tell you that you have to buy like really expensive butter or this brand of flour for it to work. I understand that there's definitely 
for people who love that level of detail, there are definitely butters that are going to taste better in baking. And there's flours that are probably like perfect for cakes and perfect for breads. But I don't want to get into that. I just want recipes to work. I want you to not have to feel like you're any kind of expert in the kitchen. You could feel like you're barely even competent in the kitchen. I want you to be able to open up that recipe, make it exactly the way it tells you to, and get the exact results that I do. Was that always a a philosophy of yours? Because it feels like, you know, especially given all of the different media that you've worked in, you have a a voice that's incredibly consistent and, and always approachable, always, you know, genuine and authentic, obviously. But do you feel like those, those rules or your philosophy have evolved uh, with, with your work or did you start out with a pretty, pretty sort of similar set of of rules around recipes? I feel like I've always had perhaps issues with authority. (laughs) So whenever somebody, (laughs) they're cooking, they're cooking. But whenever somebody tells me like, there's only one way you can do it, or this is not for beginners, or yellow cake is complicated, you'll never get it right. I just feel like, what are you talking about? No, there's got to be a way. And honestly, sometimes people are right, but it makes me want to prove people wrong. But at the same time, I would say that this, this philosophy has always existed, but it's tightened and become clear. Like it's more obvious to me over the years, like that this is, this is actually the base of what I do. And when did you make the transition from Smitten to, to Smitten Kitchen or decide to rebrand it in that way? 2006, which is just so long ago. <laughs> you were probably in like middle school or something, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think I was in college. Um, I think I was in college. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 2006. And I was really like, hey, I don't know if you guys noticed, but I mostly talk about cooking these days. So let's just make it official. It wasn't like some secret rebranding. It was like, I left the archives up for a bunch of years. Then I forgot the password of the server and I couldn't get it reset. And so I don't know where the archives are. That's, that's, it. that's amazing. They were very good. Well, and and the, the origin story of Smitten Kitchen, obviously, was sort of famously that you were going to chronicle your dating life and cooking life. And, and then uh, the dating life uh, was resolved pretty shortly thereafter, right? Yeah, I think my husband, like we probably met about a month into it. So I was still dating, I guess you could say. Um, but it was pretty clear from the time I met him that we were going to be together. So um, and was there a, a connection that you saw or were looking for between food and dating? Or, or were those just two things that you were spending a lot of time doing as, as a, a, a young honestly- resident of New York City? I honestly did not expect to be spending so much time talking about cooking. I was surprised that it felt like I had an endless, like dating has a beginning, you know, for me, it was like, I was, I could run out of stories very quickly if I'm not going on a lot of dates. And I still have a lot of stories I like to tell about New York. I was talking about New York life a lot. Um, I still have a lot of stories to tell, but for dating, I felt like I was going to run out sooner. I had and cooking. I'm not even close. So I really had that sense that I could just, there were just an endless amount of angles that I find fascinating to discuss. So um, I didn't know it was going to be my focus at all. I thought that if you wanted to write about food, you'd have to know something about food. So I didn't actually expect people to read me. Um, And I just kind of thought that the blog would last six months and I would just go I don't know, back to focusing on my day job or something. And I am still to this day shocked that that's not the way it went. How, so how did people find you or how, how did your readers come across the blog? I 
I don't, I feel like it, whatever it was, it was very organic. Like I certainly brought some readers over from the existing blog, which was not huge, but it wasn't small at the time. Um, it would be small by any standards today, but the web was a little bit more of a baby back then. Um, but uh, I think it, it's really been like a slow and steady growth. There haven't been like big jumps. Um, it's just been, I think, organic and like word of mouth. I don't do advertising or anything. So, I mean, I don't advertise for my site. I don't even have business cards. So, I mean, um, I think I just I sort of felt like if people like it, they're going to like it and they're not going to like it because I put my business card in their hand or talk it up in an elevator. They're going to like it because it's good. And hopefully that will be enough. Are there, are there some recipes from those early days that you look back on and go, what was I thinking? Or how, how could I have made that or published that? Amazingly enough, I, I can't believe how um, little testing I got away with in those days. But the readership was much smaller. Um, I, certainly, if something was a total dud, um, which there are very few. Um, I, they've obviously been repaired over the years. Um, but just, it was a lot more like, hey, here's something I cooked last night and it was really good. Um, and here it is. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, I, I was never promising perfection, but I now I feel like, you know, obviously for the last many, many years with the size of the readership, I feel like I have a responsibility to not waste anybody's time that I did not feel at that time. Um, but yeah, there's definitely stuff from the way back that I was like, I didn't want to like, cause now before I publish something, I'm like, is this the version I want to move forward with? Is this the one I want to represent this category on this gigantic site with all these, like, there's so many more, there's so much more, um, gravitas to each decision about what I put on the site, um, that I was much more freed from back then. And do you, does that make it harder? Does that, that pressure or that gravitas that, that the recipes carry these days, how does that affect the decision-making process or, or um, the, the way that you're thinking about not even sort of specific recipes, but thinking about categories of food and, and styles of cooking? It's definitely, um, it's definitely a lot more of a complicated decision-making. I mean, there's occasionally that simple. I'm like, no, I just, I want to write up the margaritas the way I make them today. I don't use the old formula. It's time for a new post. But there are other things where I've been sort of winding around for the last week or <laughs> really for the last years, because I have this sort of spotty process of working on things, but heavily in the last couple of weeks, playing around with chicken tenders. And I've just been going in circles over like how, <laughs> um, you know, trying it this way and trying it this way and trying it this way, which is something I would have never done before. I would have just done it the first way, which is my favorite way. Um, and that's it. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um, can, can I ask what's, what's the chicken tender approach or how, why are chicken tenders uh, so complicated? It's because I like them fried. I think they're excellent fried. I don't yeah. think you have to use a ton of oil, but you do really want to like mostly submerge them. You don't want them sitting in the bottom of the pan, but I know that people don't want to fry chicken tenders. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol, and less saturated fat. 
and it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. And we're back. You're listening to Why Food. And our guest this week is Deb Perlman of the uh, magical, famous Smitten Kitchen books and blog. Um, Deb, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, uh, your, your voice and your audience and how those have changed over the years and how you've adapted uh, to reach different kinds of cooks or, or speak to, to cooks of all different skill levels and, and interests. Is that, is that something you think about or, or is that something that sort of comes out in the wash as you're cooking? How do you approach uh, the, the, the breadth of your audience? I, um, I feel like I've always wanted to reach most cooks. I feel like recipes should be doable or the recipes I share will be doable. I mean, I know there are more complicated things that might take more skill set, but I still, my, my obsession is still this idea that you shouldn't need to be an expert cook or even feel particularly competent in the kitchen, that the recipe should get you there and the instructions should work. And I mean, as, as with many things in the kitchen, easier said than done. So how do you, <laughs> how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you create a recipe that, that might appeal to somebody who is a highly skilled cook, but is looking for, for a new set of flavors or, or some inspiration and that will work equally well, or maybe it doesn't work equally well, but, but uh, will also appeal to somebody without that level of skill. I mean, certainly over the years, the, the site has had different kind of moods and energies, but I would say certainly over the last several, you know, I've been definitely interested in classics a lot, you know, classics done my way and sort of tightened up stuff as much as I, I love a lot of very specific dishes and I like them and done really well, but I also sometimes go, wait a second, this site is 14 years old and there isn't a, you know, a chicken tender recipe on it. You know, how did I, how did I miss that? And then it's like, well, what's my ultimate, most perfect, like the last recipe you should ever want. And so I get, that's more like the, been the philosophy of like the later years of the site. Um, but you know, it's not always going to be just like a classic. I think it can be really boring if you just go to a site and it's just, I don't know, stuff you already know you like versus stuff that you didn't know you wanted, but you suddenly want now that you've read about it. And there is a certain, uh, it seems like a certain intensity that, that comes along with that style of recipe development, right? Like thinking so carefully and making the recipe, who knows how many times to get it right. Uh, but, but the way that you write about it comes, comes across as pretty, you know, pretty breezy, pretty, uh, pretty light. Or is, is, is there a contradiction there or, or do those two things coexist? Or maybe, maybe I'm making it all up and, and reading too much into it. There's a lot of editing. There's a lot of preparing <laughs> it down. There's a lot of like, I can't have, this is terrible, but like, I always think of like 
combing very naughty hair and that's just because I have a daughter with curly hair and it's kind of like I guess our job to make sure that it's not like a big snarl <laughs> until she's older so but I always feel like it's like you go you have the first go through and then you have the second go through and then you have the third go through and eventually you have no kinks left and I think of that a lot with recipe development and I think of that a lot with writing and I don't think that we're actually at the point where everything is like kink free but you know there's I, that the goal is to get there is to make it as smooth as possible. And, and it, I do tend to find, as I said, I, I mentioned, I, I can't believe how little testing I got away with in the beginning, but I also think that the recipes are much stronger from, you know, more versions and the mood I'm in, because I don't want to mislead you. I am like super grumpy by the time I'm on my fifth round of testing. I feel no joy. So it's in the fifth round or sometimes it's the third round or sometimes I'm even sick of it sooner <laughs> that I'm like, I wonder if I could just melt the butter instead of creaming it. And I wonder, I wonder if I could just add all these ingredients at once in one bowl, you know, and see. And I start, and that's really where I find that I can skip a lot of steps and a lot of the stuff that I thought was like, non-negotiable is actually totally negotiable and now it's so much more doable so to be honest even though I'm not like I don't have any great love for multiple testing rounds I think that that's actually that's where the recipes get really good I, I love that idea or that framing of of grumpiness leading to shortcuts and innovation and <laughs> and ultimately ease of use is that uh, uh, like, are, are you aware of that dynamic as you're doing it? Or, or is this something that you like reflect on later and went, Oh, I, I figured that out. I'm still like, Oh God, I have to make it again. I'm so sick of it. Cause I only, I like new stuff. Like my favorite clothes are the last ones I bought, which of course, you know, in a pandemic are like a very long time ago. Yeah. But uh, my favorite thing is the last, it was the thing I woke up that day craving and not the thing that I need to go iron out another kink in. So I tend to procrastinate. Um, let's say it's going to be dinner tonight, like these chicken tenders probably will be. Um, I tend to procrastinate. And then it's like, you know, the kids are, they kind of need to be fed at six. I'm not saying it always happens, but they really should be fed at six. And it's definitely like 520. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll start. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that's not really like an ideal amount. It's not, it's enough time to make it, but it's not enough time to make it and think about it and take notes and measure everything carefully. And so I tend to, that's worth it. If it goes well, that's where, um, the recipe gets a lot better for everybody else who wishes to start it 20 minutes later and still have the same results. It's also where there's a lot of like, Oh my God, Deb, you had all afternoon to work on this and you started at five twenty, and you made a mistake. So that day was a wash. Yeah. So there's, there's a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I do find a similar dynamic in the process of entrepreneurship. I mean, not that what you're doing isn't, but, but the process of building a business where you have to sort of hate the things that you're doing or the ways that you're doing them so that you're, or at least in my case, so that I'm incentivized to find better ways of doing them. I have to, like, I, I have found a lot of value in that um, mild frustration or, you know, be something not working, not being able to figure out why my approach isn't working and then, and then, then being forced to find a new one. Um, oh, I love that. I never thought of it that way before. And I love it. Like, so do you also kind of like stomp around the room and go, I hate it here. Oh, and yes. I'm, like, I'm, my wife will tell you I'm grumpy all the time. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Why so, isn't this I'm working? Like, no. 
I literally, I did one of those like little, I did one of those like yoga videos this morning and I was like, I will talk to myself about not being so crabby when things don't work out, Deb. You don't need to be in a bad mood just because the recipe round didn't come out the way you wanted it to. I, I like, you know, messed up on something and went right back to that place. But philosophically, I thought it was a good idea to not have a little tantrum every time yeah. things didn't go right. Well, I think, I think I've just sort of rationalized the tantrums I, that like the tantrums are important because that's part of my learning process. No, it's just, uh, I know, I'm, I know I'm being insufferable for this five minutes, but you know, <laughs> it's good for the process. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um, you mentioned your kids a little earlier and I, I wanted to talk a little bit about them and their participation or experience of the, of everything you do. What, what do they think you do or how do they understand uh, how do they explain to their friends what their mom does? I actually should find out. I think that they think I'm a chef, which I am definitely not. I bet they're a little confused because they hate a lot of what I cook. So they don't know why other people would be into it. My son's a bit older. He's 11 and he's he's very sharp. So he has a better idea, I think, of like what what are you doing today? I'm like, oh, I'm doing a demo for this thing, you know, for the holiday, you know, so like he, he can understand, parse that a little bit more. I'm not sure what my five-year-old tells her classmates about me, but I bet it's very, oh, wait, we just had her parent teacher conference yesterday. And I had sent in Hamantaschen last week after I had done a demo for a synagogue, like, you know, one of those Zoom event type things. Yeah. And I had so much extra. So I just sent them in. And apparently she had told them I was on TV the day before, which was possibly. So that's about as much information as I have. I don't think she gets it as much, but um, they know I cook. They know cooking is my job. And do they do they like to cook with you or, or are they sort of annoyed by it? I mean, how, how do they uh, how do they think about it? I think that it's it's a mix because I I know that we all like the aesthetics of the glowy domesticity of a mother and her children cooking together. Like I think it looks lovely too, but the reality is that I am no better at having my kids in the kitchen while I'm working at a recipe than any person in a more office setting would be having a kid sitting on the desk in their cubicle while they were filing a report. Like it just it's great I like their company but it's not great for productivity like if I need to like really measure and think and go through the process and like really nail this testing round I don't do well with can I have a snack can I lick this right. <laughs> um so but then I, I am aware of when I'm at a point in my recipe testing where we can they can hang out with me um and also you know certainly on the weekends like if we're making brownies or you know pancakes or something like that. I love having them around. And I've been also lately trying to make more of a point to challenge them to find a recipe to cook for dinner. Like, obviously, this is a big if, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, but we've done a couple times in the last couple months where I'm like, here's a cookbook, find something you want to make. Um, we'll shop for it together and I'll help you make it. So I sometimes forget that I also need to develop their competence in the kitchen. Um, which is not necessarily the first thing I feel like doing after a day of cooking, but I'm working on it. Are there dishes that they had surprising reactions to things that you thought they wouldn't like that they did or, or vice versa? I'm always surprised and delighted by the fact that if I put, not if I ask them, but if I put, like, let's say we just chop up a bunch of like a crudite platter, like we don't call it that like just some vegetables <laughs> you're a crudite children um i'm surprised that if i leave it out like even raw cauliflower broccoli peppers 
they eat it, they're like, it just disappears. Um, and that's really nice because if I put it out at the dinner table, they like won't touch it. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to eat my vegetables, you know? Um, so that's always been a surprise to me. Um, what else? My son has, I think, surpassed me in the amount of heat he likes on his food. I have seen him douse a burger in Frank's hot sauce. And I'm like, that's disgusting. Like to me, it was just like way too much. <laughs> I would never do that. Um, but my daughter like still cries if she gets like a fleck of black pepper on her tongue. But I think that's more of a um, like, how dare you like betrayal than an actual taste <laughs> issue. <laughs> The betrayal of black pepper, yeah. Exactly. Like, I mean, don't mean to surprise you, but I actually put pepper and salt in every food and right. generally as much cayenne and heat and pepper flakes as I can get away with. You're just noticed it that day. Right. How how did how did you eat growing up? Like normally, what does that mean? Normal for me. That's like of yeah. course it seems normal inside my head. Um, but I grew up in the suburbs and I don't be with you roast chicken and baked potatoes. Um, definitely had salad every night. Um, spaghetti and meatballs. My mom liked flank steak. No, she liked London broils. That was like every couple weeks. I wasn't super into meat. Um, I declared my vegetarianness at 13. And I was actually vegetarian until I was 20, 27 or 20. I want to say 28. Um, was, so was that a, a taste preference or philosophical or environmental? Why, why, why? It, it was both. It was just, it seemed inhumane and I also didn't like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, the two ways I sort of got past that were, again, there are people who would argue that there's no human, there's no way to ever have humane meat. And I, you know, I respect that, but you know, you can certainly find out where your meat is coming from a lot more these days. There's a lot of places that you can get it where you can feel a little better about the decisions being made and the way the animals are treated. So that's the first part. And the second part was just learning how to cook it the way I wanted it, um, finding my ways to make things. And it's not that my mother was a terrible cook or anything. It's just that, you know, I don't know. I just had to kind of come at, come at it on my own. And find the ways that I love it. But I also am still fairly, I, I'm very grateful for those years because I still kind of am fine with vegetables being the bulk of a meal and meat just being an every couple days thing or maybe like a small part of the plate, which I think is a pretty smart way to eat regardless. Yeah. Um, let's, let's do some, I mean, we always call them rapid fire and they're never rapid, but let's do some rapid fire <laughs> questions before we, we close out the interview. Um, on, on that note, uh, if you were a vegetable, what vegetable would you be and why? Ooh, I want to be an artichoke because it's my favorite. Although that's very strange to be like, it's my favorite. I want to eat it. So I want to be it. Like there's <laughs> a lot to unpack there. But um, I love it. Like it's, I don't know. I think they're, they taste amazing and they like, they have a funky appearance. <laughs> um, there's many layers to them. You get it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And there yeah, are lots of ways yeah. to cook them. <laughs> lots of, uh, they carry lots of other flavors really well. Yeah. Um, uh, desert Island kitchen tool. You're going to a desert Island. What do you bring with you? I feel like you're going to think I'm insane, but I, if I was to be honest about the thing that I use the most in my kitchen after the coffee maker is, um, I, 
I use small offset spatulas for everything. I use them for like scooping things, fluffing flour before I scoop it, leveling cups. I use it for spreading peanut butter and jelly on kids' sandwiches. I I use it for everything. It's like my knife. I use it to like cut butter into cubes to soften. I don't know. It's I it's the thing I use the most. I have several. I get a little twitchy when I don't have it near me. Yeah. That's that's a great answer. I I think we had one other person say offset spatula, mini offset spatula, and I, when oh, I really? yeah when I was yeah when I was working in the kitchens, I, right? I I would have one in my pocket, like you know, all the time. It was the first thing they're, that I would reach for. They're the best tool. Yeah, I use them yep. for everything. Yep. Um, how about a an amazing meal that you had a a, a really memorable meal that cost less than five or ten dollars? Ooh. Okay, brainstorming here. Amazing meal. Could be often. This is a travel question. (laughs) I know, but I don't want to be. I don't want it to be a story of like, look how bad the economy it is in this place, and how bad how close how far my five dollars gets me. (laughs) I really appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like it's, it's, but um, I also just think of um, um, it's definitely five or ten. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of thinking of a crepe on the street in Paris. It's always the most wonderful thing. I like the ones with lemon and sugar. Like it's very mm. subtle, sweet. Well, sometimes we'll caramelize it a little bit. I know you're supposed to get Nutella, but it's I can just take a bite of my husband's. He'll get the Nutella, so I don't have to. <laughs> um, I'm like I. It's been like it's trying to remember what travel was like. Is yeah. is like so before times but I'm also just because um I'm looking out the window in the direction of this I don't think they've reopened since um since COVID in full um so I can't but there's a place um in my neighborhood that makes this just really great like Bubby style chicken noodle soup very hearty like it's not nobody nobody really talks about it like it's not like a big showy thing on their menu people come there um for many things but i've no i totally miss being able to pick up the chicken noodle soup from there on a night that it's just a perfect meal and i'm pretty sure the big container is only 10 bucks which which restaurant was that um let me i literally need to make sure they're still open um but it's (laughs) um it's a (laughs) they're they're just a polish diner um and i am i'm like blinking on the name right now um but i'll 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 get back to you sorry no that's okay um are are there i mean maybe not so so much of a rapid fire question but you've you've navigated so many different media through your career and and the way that you started really doesn't exist anymore um what advice would you give to somebody who's who's starting out in food who wants to be a recipe writer wants to write about their experience of, of cooking and eating uh, how how would you suggest that they get started? I don't think the medium matters as much as what you have to say and, you know, have something to say, not for the sake of having something to say, but like, what are, you know, start with the things that you care about, start with the things that you have an opinion about and start with, you know, the dishes that you think nobody else makes right. Um, and I think from there, you'll have a unique voice and I want to hear it because I'm like, oh, what, what is it? Tell me more. We're, I think most of us who like to think about food and read about food and cook food, like we love to hear from people who have something to say. And so it doesn't really matter to me whether I have to find you on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or you have a blog It doesn't or Twitter. It doesn't matter. I just want to like just 
wherever you land, wherever you can find your people and as many places as you can send this content. So everybody can pick their channel, I guess. Um, in the end, it's really just about having something to say and having your own way of saying it. Can, can we talk about TikTok for a minute? I, I had totally forgotten this, but I read somewhere that you love TikTok and, and I also love food TikTok. Can, can you just tell, talk about why you love TikTok? So I didn't say I love food TikTok, but I do. I mean, it's not that I don't. I, do. <laughs> I just, I feel like I, I tend, TikTok like, has this way of sniffing out what you're interested in. And it seems to think that I want a dog. And I don't know where it got that idea, but I seem to have spend a lot of time on dog TikTok. And then I have a friend who always sends me these cleaning videos. And now they think I'm interested in cleaning, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> so I would say my TikTok feed is like pretty random. And there's a good amount of food there too, of course, because that's what I do. But I love it. I don't know. Um, I think the format's really fun. It feels really fresh, you know, at a time when, and I'm sure it's going to go the same way. Like, I feel like all social media eventually goes the same way. Too many ads, a bad algorithm, difficult to use. Like they all kind of eat themselves in the end, not to be too negative about it, but I haven't seen it not happen (laughs) in my years. So, but right now, like at a time when, you know, Twitter is, you know, wasn't always super political, but certainly after the last four years we've had, it's like a very political, like, let me correct you place. And Facebook sometimes became about finding out which of your friends you grew up with have philosophies you radically oppose. Um, And Instagram, you know, was a lot of sponsored content and it can be a little bit like performative. TikTok just felt kind of more fresh and raw. And so you felt like it just feels like there's more energy there. And I don't mean to like dump on the other things. I'm in all those places too, but I, you know, it's just, it was just, it felt like something fresh and the content's more raw and less formulated. And, you know, I don't, again, I'm sure it's going to be all sponsorships soon, but it doesn't feel like that right now. So it's yeah. very fun. And I love like watching a grandmother make noodles or learning something about like, you know, street food in China. Like it's just, it's so fun. And I love the, the brief clips. Um, yeah. 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 And su- such incredible creativity. People come up with all kinds of wacky stuff that that uh, I at least never would have thought of. And, and to have a form where they can both share that with other people, but also, right, like we can log on and learn about street food in China or how a grandmother in Italy is making noodles. It's uh, it's it, it has been such a special experience. And I'm also dreading that <laughs> uniformity that I think, you know, this is what happened to Instagram. Everybody's pictures started to look the same and then they weren't interesting anymore. Um, right. I'm, I'm dreading that. Um, yeah, I'm sure I still spend hours a day on Instagram. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be realistic. Right. <laughs> My screen time reports are mostly Instagram. What I was actually going to say is I also love the comments on TikTok. It's got the comment section is great. It's not all like, I don't know. I obviously there's probably still crazy, but the ones that tend to go to the top, I always find to be like very interesting insight and like conversation. Um, and generally, I don't know. I mean, yeah. maybe it's just that I'm in more civilized parts of TikTok. I don't know if dog TikTok is very civilized, but um, I find the comments to be very fun too. Have you started producing your own content on TikTok? I've done a little bit. I'm like 
definitely a little, I don't want to say behind in the TikTok place, but it's definitely like, I'm not um, putting like a full blown energy. And that's just because I'm like an old person on the web and it's hard to go super hard on anything from the beginning. <laughs> but um, yeah, there is a Smitten Kitchen TikTok and I usually do little quick recipe videos. I do, I stick to this 15 second format because I just, I like quick stuff. Um, and I have terrible taste in music as my kids always tell me. And um, I am enjoying displaying it for the world to see. What uh, what music have you used as the uh, as the backdrop for your videos? Uh, I think there's a recent one. I mean, I don't want to say bad, but just like just random. There's um a Lemonhead Lemonhead song in a recent one, and there's some Elvis around the New Year. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I think I just like picking something kind of absurd or random, yeah. um, but also familiar. That's awesome. You um, need to watch my videos on mute. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Where can our listeners uh, find you, find your work, cook your recipes, purchase your books, anything else you want to direct them to? You should come to my website. You should hit the surprise me button until you find what you want to cook tonight. And I am very excited about the book I'm writing right now, even though it won't be out till the fall of 2022. I hope it's worth the wait because it's all I've been doing when I'm not doing everything else, you know, I'm, I'm sure it will be. And, and you even pulled a cake out of the oven uh, during our recording that, that uh, is going to be top secret until the book comes out. <laughs> um, well, uh, as always, you can reach us by email, whyfood at heritageradionetwork.org. You can find us on social why food podcast. Uh, you can reach me via my spice company, burlap and barrel at burlap and barrel on Instagram. And you can reach Valerie on Instagram at foodie in New York. Thanks to Armin Spengen, our amazing sound engineer. Thanks to the Red Crickets for our theme song. It's called Blind. And most of all, Deb, thank you so much for, for this conversation. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I look forward to talking to Valerie in the future yeah. because I adore her work. See you all next week. Why Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.